Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Well, hey, everybody. What is going on? Today is Friday. It is the 3rd of July, 2020. You may be able to tell the more astute of you that we are in the mobile studio, and we're going to so you may hear the um, the AC going. You may hear some cars going by. I'm actually parked, but right now it's about 101, so I don't really want to have the windows rolled down or anything like that. So anyway, let's get the contact info posted, and then we'll jump in with both feet into the show. I've got the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would prefer to record your own audio, that'd be awesome. Or if you wanted to send me an email, then I'll read it out for you on the show. That'd be great, too. The place to send that is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Let's see what else here. It's been a while. Oh, I got the the stuff over at the website, which is firearmscafe.com. So I have my Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram accounts linked up to buttons over there. There is also, if you ever were so inclined, to support the show financially, either through a one-time donation or through a uh, monthly thing. You can set it up through the PayPal donation that I have over there. And I think that's about it for that stuff. So let's, let's get in with the show. So it's been, what, a couple of months since I've put anything out, which I guess in the history of the show isn't that unusual, but I have been wanting to. It just hasn't sort of worked out or I haven't been in the mood, that type of thing. And, you know, with the virus and the ups and the downs of it, it's, uh, eh, you know, I'm sure a lot of you guys are kind of feeling the same way. I'd like to go out and maybe shoot sometime, but it seems like you you can't really go to a, a gun range. Maybe they're open, maybe they're not. But, uh, and some of them, you know, you're, how far away are you, But you know, going to be from the other people and stuff like that. And, the one good thing about most indoor ranges is that they generally have a, if they're a good one, they generally have a pretty good ventilation system. So I think I may, I'm sure I probably talked about it on the last show. I have no idea what I mentioned or anything last time. Cause I think, like I said, that was back in April, end of April. And I won't go too far down into this rabbit hole, but it's still the same thing of you you don't really know who you can trust as far as reporting. Are they giving you the right information? And then part of it is, too, is, well, the nature of, of the world is things change. Nothing really stays constant. So is it that they're giving you false or misleading information? Is it that they're treating us sort of as children? Or is it that things are popping up and they kind of are giving you the, the best information that they have at the time? And I think it's probably a little bit of both. We got to remember that everybody has their agendas. Everybody has their things that they want to get pushed through in a crisis, all that type of stuff. And we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit later about some politics and some things like that. But I guess maybe the long and short of this whole virus thing is, of course, I'm out in Arizona and I live in the Phoenix area. Now, Phoenix is the largest city in the state. It's also, the, I think, the fifth largest city in the country. It may be sixth, but I know it's either fifth or sixth. And I think it's fifth. And we've been fifth largest for a long, long time. For those of you guys that don't know, Phoenix is similar to some of the, some of the what do you call it, urban sprawl, I guess, that you have out in L.A. and some of the bigger cities where You'll go through, you have Phoenix, but then you have Glendale and Peoria and you have Mesa and Tempe where ASU is and you have uh, the East, some of the East Valley's uh, cities. You have Queen Creek and Gilbert and things like that. And when you're driving through, it's pretty much now, it's kind of all one big sprawl. So you'll, you'll drive through what we would call like industrial areas and, you know, neighborhoods and things like that. But it's really sort of, sort of spread out here. So for instance, from, from the East Valley, if you go from the far East Valley to 
the far west side, which would be like way out in Sun City, even with good traffic, it'd take you probably like an hour. You, you know, so if you lived way out, let's say in in uh, oh Apache Junction, which is a, a city out here that's far east, or maybe Queen Creek, which is sort of east and south, and then you were to drive out to Sun City, it would take you a good hour minimum to get there, and that would be with probably uh, you know pretty good traffic and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, all that nonsense aside, our numbers out here in Arizona are just going through the roof and i've i've been frustrated with how the the stuff is getting reported because sometimes i think the way that even even when the news comes on and you'll go on to maybe uh, facebook or youtube and you'll look through to and you'll find let's say like abc news 15 and then they have these two people that are talking and they've got a little bit longer form but they're still not going into the in-depth, which would be easy to do, which would be to say, here's the numbers that we have. This is who's getting infected. This is who is dying. This is, and, and part of the problem is I think that some of the numbers that, they're, that they are getting maybe aren't 100% accurate. I saw a thing from, now I don't know how old it was to be fair, but there was a thing from, I think it was Illinois Department of Public Health, where one of the head people from that organization was talking about that if you die and you test positive for COVID, that's what they list your death as, even if you had other, even if your cause of death was something else. So now I don't know if they were, if that means, oh, you know, you got killed in a car accident and you had COVID, are they going to list you as a COVID death? I think what and this is what some people would sort of take out of out of context. I think that what she was saying is that if you were in the hospital and and you had a heart attack but you also had you and then they found out that oh that you tested positive and you and you died, they would say that that would be a covid related death which would just be reported as covid death. And I I kind of understand what they're saying, but it's frustrating to say, "Oh, yeah, this this person had it, but we really don't know a hundred percent if, if this was a leading, if them having COVID was a leading factor in it. And then they talk about out here in Arizona, one thing that they did kind of give good numbers on was they were talking about that when the state reopened, I think it was in, and I may have talked about it on the, on the last show, or maybe I talked about it on an armed ape or something like that. I don't remember. But anyway, we, officially reopened mid-May and then what was it about a week or so ago the governor closed us down again as far as and it's it's just certain things it's like movie theaters gyms and a couple other things so you can still if you want you can still go into the grocery store you can still go into you know Lowe's or Home Depot so you can get all the necessities that you that you need you can go into the I think you can still go into the post office and most, of course, all medical stuff is all still open and all that kind of jazz. But it's it's frustrating in when they talk about the mask do nothing, the mask, you know, you should wear them. And so right now we're a state, too, that is a mask state. So, well, I guess I shouldn't say state. So Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, is one of the largest counties population-wise. It may not be land-wise. I think it is. But anyway, what they're saying is if you are going into a place where you're going to maybe be in, in close proximity with people and you can't, you know, maintain that, you know, six, seven foot distance, just, you know, be polite and wear a mask. And I understand when people say, oh, the masks don't do anything, that they're not going, especially if you've got a cloth mask or a paper mask, that it's not going to filter out the virus. I get that. But I guess the main thing that it would do is it would keep you in theory a little bit healthier that if you are cognizant of having your mask on and the the main thing it's going to do is, is if you've got an itch or something on your face or you're you're going to maybe be less likely to touch your face before you would get home and wash your hands or use anti-back or the, the hand sanitizer spray or that type of stuff or the gel whatever you got so i don't know uh i you know i want I want, I'd like to go out and go shooting, but there's a couple of places where I would go, but it's just so dang hot. And, you know, 
Well, I guess well, I tell you what. Let's just jump over to this, and we'll 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 leave the COVID stuff sort of behind a little bit, and we'll we'll talk about some kind of nutty stuff that's going on with guns. We had the initial pandemic, and that rolled through and everybody was going to have to be staying home. And a lot of people got worried like, Oh, Holy crap, man, I am not going to be able, you know, we're going to all run out of food and then it's going to be like Mad Max. And I don't, I don't have a gun. I don't have anything. And so people started panic buying and then they started panic buying uh, ammo. Now, in my opinion, a lot of those people, and I, I can't remember if I said this before or not, but the more I've thought about it, a lot of those people that are maybe first time buyers I don't think those people are buying up tons and tons of ammo. I think maybe those people went online and maybe bought a couple hundred rounds and then they got that and they feel like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Uh, Because a lot of these people are buying this stuff as sort of a talisman. It's going to be something that's going to make them feel good. You know, will we see, I I had thought at one point that we'll we'll see a, uh, coming forward, there's going to be a uh, huge uptick in the used gun market. Is that going to be true? Eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. A lot of people are saying, oh, we're going to have a lot of allies. Maybe, maybe not. I think if somebody is sort of vehemently anti-gun, they're, they can sort of go through the mental gymnastics and the justification of, well, even though I'm anti-gun, I'm a good person. So it's okay if I have a gun, but it's just all those other filthy mongrels out there that shouldn't have a gun. But me, I mean, I can have one. So even though I'm anti-gun, I'm going to go through the the right channels and the right process and everything, and it'll be fine if I have a gun. Now, will that person sell that gun? Maybe, maybe not, because a lot of those people, you know, they got a good case of the feels. So they're going to associate, I think, more of that feeling of maybe relief or of security or of, I don't know if I'm, there's maybe they feel safe without ever really having to do anything, you know? And I think a lot of people maybe will sort of transfer those feelings onto that object instead of saying, Oh, okay, I've got this, I've, I've got a gun. I need to go how to use, I need to learn how to use it. I need to go practice with it. It's, again, it's just going to be like a teddy bear to those people. That's why I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of uh, stuff. There might, you know, especially if, let's say, come October or so before the election, let's say that that we get a vaccine or something like that. Some of those people might get rid of it. But I also wonder, too, if a lot of those people that have the gun, and this would be, again, these people that maybe normally wouldn't have gotten one, with the upcoming election, are they going to want to hold on to their little blasters there until they see if Trump gets elected or reelected, excuse me, or if Biden is going to take up the reins? So it will be interesting to see what kind of happens in the used gun market. But again, ammo is uh, the, the online places that I go, the prices are higher. And I think I've talked about before that having lived through a couple of these ammo shortages, you sort of, uh, you sort of reap when you can, you know, you make sure that you're always stocking up and, and then you, you get a number and everybody sort of has that. We always joke, well, how much ammo is, is enough? And you're like, oh, just one box more. And in fact, a, a few months ago, before all this stuff happened, my wife and I were talking about, she was like, well, how much ammo do you need? And I kind of said, well, and I kind of gave her a little bit of the spiel and she wasn't like saying, well, you got it. You can't buy anymore. I, that makes me uncomfortable. Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't anything like that. It was just sort of a genuine question. But once the pandemic hit and once there was sort of a fear of whether it was founded or not, a fear of, gee, do we, are we going to be able to get any more? Is what you got all we can have for a while? And she was kind of like, well, I'm glad you have those things. So in times of crisis, it's it's funny how people's, I guess, positions in some ways change. And in some ways, you know, we talk a lot about on the show the difference between a philosophy based on position and a, or a philosophy that leads you to be a positional person or a, a philosophy that leads you to be more of a principled person. Principles will generally 
determine what your position is. So your position doesn't really change all that much. So that if you, uh, an example would be, if you think, well, everything should be, you know, it, it should be voluntary. I shouldn't, I shouldn't take something away from somebody else just because I can and because I want it. And then the different, and then you would look at stuff like taxation or what the government does and you would say, oh, okay, that's the exact same thing. If I can't come and just take your money, why should I, why should it, why is it okay or moral or just for the government to do something like that? And I know that's the old taxation is theft type thing, but it's a, it's a good example of that. So anyway, you know, I think some people will actually sort of change their, well, a lot of, a lot of people will change their positions and they'll go back to the old one once the crisis is over. But a few of those people, their actual, the principle of it will change because they will say, oh, and this isn't going to be the majority, but it's going to be a few of them will say, oh, okay, I understand that even when the police were sort of still around in some of these places and it was just the thought of, oh, there's going to be a scarcity of resources and someone might try and take stuff from me that I need, you know, I need to be able to defend myself or protect myself or, or to make sure that our food or water or our shelter or whatever doesn't get taken from us. And the easy way to do that or the most expedient way to do that is a firearm. And this would be sort of these people's thought process. And some of those people may then have the, the, a, a principled change of, oh, it doesn't matter whether there's a crisis or not. It doesn't matter whether the police are around or not, whether they're good times or bad times. I just as a human being have the right to live and the right to defend myself and the right not to have things taken by force from me. Now, how many of those people out there that are doing that are going to do or would actually kind of sit down and think that stuff through? And how many people will just say, ah, crisis is over. Don't need this anymore. So I can just go back to normal. And we're still seeing now, you know, the whole thing with the with with the George Floyd deal and the Black Lives Matter and the protests and the the divide between all lives matter and Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. And then you you have people that are genuinely horrified by what happened to that guy. Whether you say he was an angel or a devil, it doesn't matter. He was in custody. He was in control. They could have popped him into the back of the squad car. And people will say, oh, you know, the people that are apologists are going to say, no, you know, they had to do that. If you weren't there, you don't understand. You haven't ever done that job. Now, true, I've never been a police officer, but I have as a probation officer. And I was I, I worked in juvenile, so we had to be extra careful with people because you're dealing with underage people. But a lot of times, especially when I was working in detention, you had to put your hands on people. And there are ways to do that to where you're not going to harm somebody. And there are ways to keep people in control. Look, we had people that came in that were drunk, that were high and that were coming down off stuff and that were combative. And, you know, so a lot of times when, when I hear people say, you know, things like that, like you weren't there, you've never done the job, you can't say anything. That's even if I didn't have experience in having to be physical with people that doesn't invalidate my my opinion on it or invalidate how you how you should treat people it's like saying oh you know somebody's in favor of hitting people in the head with shovels and you're like well no that's not that's not right and what they did to that guy was not right and there were other ways around it and and look you know i go on facebook and i very rarely comment unless it's on a like on a friend's thing or something, or most of the stuff that I comment on is just, you know, being goofy and silly. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll make a comment. And it, it amazes me how many people, when you'll see a, a video of something, and a lot of times you get the whole, you get the whole nine yards. A lot of times you don't, but sometimes you do. And where they're dragging somebody down a hallway or they're kicking them when they're down, or and especially if they're already... If they're in custody, meaning that they're in, they're handcuffed. Look, can somebody, if they're in handcuffed, can somebody like kick you and hurt you that way? Yeah, they can. 
do you have a major advantage over those people? Uh, you absolutely do. Is it easy to get that person who's handcuffed down on the ground and then you basically be able to control them without hurting them? Absolutely. There's a way that where we were taught, you can kneel on somebody on their back and it, you cannot get up if you're in that certain position. And you generally have, you have, you're kind of on their back and you've got one of their arms, kind of controlling one of their arms. And I was in training where I had it done to me and you, and you can struggle and try and get up. Now, if a 12 year old is doing it to you, yeah, that's a different story, but there are certain positions you can put people in to where they physically, if, if it's one adult to another, they're just not, you cannot get out of some of these holds. And especially if the person is inebriated or this or that, but, um, so anyway, I don't know. I, I guess everybody's kind of got their opinions on it. But my, I felt that the people who are out there protesting and protesting a lot of the, the police brutality that's gone on over the years. And it's, I understand, too, that it's not just a black thing or a black and white thing. or It pretty much is anything that, that the police, any one of those things that you witness... I, I can almost guarantee you in 99% of those things where you see that somebody is going overboard, that is not the first time that that person has done that. And there are other people in that person's department who know about that, who, who know about that guy. And they'll generally have nicknames. And what, what happens is, is you get, there is such a there's such a us versus them mentality. And I've talked about this a lot on the show, but you got to realize no matter, you know, whether you got your little blue line sticker on the back or blue lives matter or whatever, if one of those cops is having a bad day and you don't answer the way that they think you should, or maybe they get a little bit rough with your 75-year-old mom when they're when they're pulling her out of the car for whatever reason they're going to do it and you're like, "Hey, what are you doing?" and they mace you in the face or they they kick you to the ground and break your arm or break your leg. Well, you know, tough stuff for you. A lot of the friends that I had back in probation, I, I, you know, we worked pretty closely with the police a lot of times and uh, I went on lots of ride-alongs and and uh, a lot of people that I worked with in probation went to the police departments just because the pay was better and you had a better pension, all this other stuff. And there was this one guy, and I don't want to use his real name. Uh, we'll just call him Ed. Ed came back and we were outside of court one day and he was there to testify on a case. And he was telling me, he's like, yeah, man, you should come in. You should join us and and uh, you should join up and get on the job and you can pretty much do whatever you want and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, he was saying, oh, I, you know, I try not to, and, and Ed was generally a nice guy, and I think that he, he wasn't uh, abusive of his power that he had, but he was telling me the story of this guy who worked in one of the uh, poorer parts of town that was high crime, and this guy was super aggressive, abused his, uh, abused his authority, and was abusive to people, and threw his weight around all the time. And it got so bad that they moved him out of the real poor, high crime area of town and they put him in a nicer part of town where he really wasn't going to be dealing with the types of, of people that he was dealing with down there. Now, you're still going to have, you know, crime pretty much happens everywhere, but the reality is, is he wasn't going to be dealing with more of a hardened criminal element in the, in the area, that, the new area that he went to. And then it turned out he was so ingrained that he was starting to get into trouble there because he was being super aggressive with these people who, you know, had, for lack of a better term, had connections. And right or wrong, what happened is word got back to the police, so to his commanders and stuff. And what they did instead of saying, oh, you know what, this guy's a little too aggressive and he's going to do something, they just shoved him back in the high crime area and... He was just going to go back to normal and they, they would just kind of pull him back every once in a while, maybe put him on desk duty or, you know, give him stuff like that. Uh, sometimes, and unfortunately too, a couple other buddies of mine talked about that. If you get somebody that sometimes is too aggressive, what they'll do is they'll, 
they'll maybe promote them and put them to where they're off of the street so that they're not they're not like in the daily contact with the amount of people that they are uh, they also well i don't want to go too far down this thing but you know there's there were people that were hired that shouldn't have been hired and you know a lot of times people talk about oh it's training it's training people the police just need better training well it's not it's it's really not that it's part of it. training is part of it Really, the police should be something almost like special forces to where you really have to weed out people that can't take the stress. Or maybe it's something where you can only be a cop for maybe 10 years and then and then you you move on or you got to do something else. You know, I don't I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. And people would say, well, if you know, if you're only going to be a cop for 10 years, you know, nobody, nobody's going to do that job. It's, it's, it's too hard and it's too dangerous. I don't again, I don't know what the situation is. But when you get somebody that has been in the job for that long, and this isn't saying that it's everybody who does it, but you can sort of take the same. Oh, how do I want to say it? The same. When you look at prisoners. And I guess you could say maybe anybody in a super high stress job or something like that. But it, but if we say, if you look at prisoners, a lot of times we we talk about oh, if a guy has been in in prison for like ten twelve years, that person starts to become institutionalized, and it becomes very very difficult for them to get reintegrated back into society. And it has to do with the environment that they're in for that amount of time. Not to mention some of the other strikes that they're going to have against them, depending on what they are in jail for, that type of thing. So anyway, I don't know what the answers are to to make it to where we can kind of cut down on some of the abuse of power. What do they call it? Acting when they when they go outside the bounds, acting beyond the color of authority. Is that, is that what they the term that was used? I can't remember, but it was something similar to that. But when they had the, that thing of, oh, defund the police and all this other stuff, you saw sort of what happened, a little microcosm, that what happened in the Chaz zone or the CHOP zone, where you kind of had a little bit of lawlessness. And then the people that were in charge, even though they were saying, you know, bring down the man, bring down the government, what did they do? They did the things that humans do. Certain people gravitated towards power and then they they set up their wings of people or their cadres of people to enforce the the rules that they want to have enforced. So they have their own, they didn't, I don't think they called it a police force, but they had their own little security force and it didn't really work out too well there. But the idea though of, of saying, okay, what can, instead of having a police officer go, to a house maybe where there has been um, a robbery. And we've seen that police departments have done this stuff in the past. I've, I've known a couple of people that actually had this job. So let's say that you, you get home and you found out that your car has been stolen or you find out that your house has been broken into, but there's nobody there. What they do is they may they may send an officer by that, uh, that person says, oh, okay, well, we cleared the house for you. You get home, your car is gone, something like that. What happens is you don't necessarily need a police officer to come out and do that and to take the report. You, and this is what a buddy of mine did. I can't remember what police department he worked for, but what they would do is the officer would come out, take an initial report. They would then call back to him. And uh, his name was, his name was Jason. And what Jason would do is then he would then call those people and say, hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so with uh, the police department. I am, you know, I'm not a police officer, but I'm here to get all the information. And then he could spend a lot of time doing that. So I'm trying to, I'm sort of thinking some of this stuff through as I'm, I'm talking with you guys. In those type of situations, though, are you really doing anything where, you're avoiding escalation of a situation. And the answer is probably 99 times out of a hundred. No, uh, 
like I said, I had done several ride-alongs with the police. We went to several break-ins. People are distraught. But generally, and I was in, you know, kind of high-crime urban areas. I was in kind of ritzy areas because I would do them with different departments. Uh, But generally, even if it was like a high-crime urban area that people's homes had been broken into, even if they were frustrated or mad, they the stuff that I saw, they didn't take it out on the police. The police took the reports and they're like, ah, we'll try and get it, you know, we'll, we'll be on the lookout for it. We'll try and get it back. And it's different from a, um, a burglary in a house to when they're stealing a car. Cause generally you'll find the car. Sometimes it'll be burned up or, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, I'm getting too far down into the weeds. So let's kind of, let's kind of circle out of that and let's, um, Let's talk a little bit about, I guess, uh, current events somewhat. And then we'll maybe we'll talk a little bit about the politics and then we'll finish up with some with a little bit of more gun talk. So you had the people and I don't was it in was it in Seattle where the uh, the couple that were in their 60s, they came out and they were pointing guns at people. And and then you have certain people again, they they've politicized this stuff so much that they don't, they can't just step back and say, okay, well, yeah, those people were coming down a private street and I would understand, I would understand being afraid and I would understand arming myself. I would not go outside and try and confront a crowd because if somebody out there has a firearm and they feel threatened by you, and there's four or five of those guys and they just start opening up on you. If, you know, if shots start getting fired, you're probably not going to make it out alive. Also, you would have to say, were those people generally while they were in their house afraid for their lives? And I know some people will say, Hey bro, it's stand your ground. Or once they come on my property, you know, I'm going to open up on them and this, that, and the other thing. But again, you have to context is key to everything and you have to have a cool head and you can't be this bloodthirsty person who, you know, it would, it would be one thing if they were coming up to your house and banging on your door. And it's also, if it's a situation where, you know, Oh, the police are not coming, you know, then you're in a different situation. But I don't think that was the situation. I don't have all the info, but I don't think that was the situation that those people were in. And I think that they, I think that they were, I think that they were wrong in what they did and how they handled that situation. And I think, again, it could have been handled better. Anyway, let me know what you guys think. If you disagree, that's fine. I won't get mad at you. Uh, but don't get mad at me either. I've had, it's funny, in the past, I generally would, uh, even if somebody was kind of calling me names, I would generally read it out on the air sometimes way back, way back in the day. I haven't hardly gotten any hate mail anymore. I, in fact, I, hardly, I don't get too much feedback anyway, but partially because I don't put the shows out on the regular, but um, most of the feedback I get is relatively positive, even if somebody kind of disagrees with me, and that's fine. But if somebody's going to be just sort of coming and call me names or attack, I'm just going to, I won't even bother to put it out there. So, But again, I'm not afraid of dissenting opinion. But I'd love to hear what you guys think about some of this stuff. What do you think about the George Floyd stuff? Or even other other instances, there was an instance where there was a, a video of a young lady being dragged down a hallway and how the cop was dragging her down the hallway by her arm. There were better ways to do that stuff. So anyway, uh, what were we going to talk about? Maybe a little politics, I think. So it is going to be interesting. It's funny in the media. It seems like they are really trying to lay the seed of boy. It's, you know, it's this Donald Trump's election to lose and he's if he doesn't do something he's gonna he's not gonna get reelected. but I don't know man I mean they're running a potato against him it's sort of like you've got a like a cantaloupe or a, an orange I guess on one side and a potato on the other and you're like holy moly this is the best and then look I'm not a Democrat I'm not a Republican if you know I'm a probably a libertarian is the closest thing I am but holy cow, man, you, you got to tell me that Biden is the best that the Democrats can do. And we don't know who his, uh, at least as of today's date, unless they've, they've announced something and I don't know about it. We don't know who his running mate's going to be. 
and there's all this stuff of oh he's gonna he's he's definitely gonna pick a woman and it'll probably be a woman of color and that's this is stuff that's coming out of the sort of the democratic camps or, or even what he's saying himself but I did see an ad and I think they've since pulled it down but it, it reminded me of on the Simpsons when Mr. Burns was gonna try and make his own movie and he was up on a horse and the horse you know he falls off the horse and it drags him around and then he was like we did 38 takes and that was the best one and it was sort of like with this thing with Biden he started out and he was like um let me are you almost kind of stammering and stuttering and then and it, and to be fair it wasn't that bad but it was noticeable and i i couldn't help but think that my initial thing was that's kind of weird why would they not just redo that or have him do a part and then maybe cut to a different angle where he's looking at the camera different so that if he is messing up you can you can kind of get rid of that stuff through through cuts and editing so holy cow but i i remember thinking man that that's bad now and again to be fair as the ad went along he he did fine it was you know it was it was a, a fine political ad but there was really it didn't seem like there was really a lot of fire in him he seemed kind of tired uh, and you know, like Trump or hate Trump or love him or, you know, think he's a baboon or whatever. The one thing that he does seem to know how to do somewhat is perform in front of the camera. So he's always comes off as a little bit higher energy, but uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I wonder if people will just think that they're being pandered to. I wonder if it will be the same thing that happened last time where you're going to have the silent majority that says, you know, look, we saw what you did with with these protests, and the protests were fine. But when they went in and turned into riots, and the and I, I kind of you know I felt bad for the people who were there to protest. And and um, when shortly after the George Floyd death happened, or the murder, I guess I should say happened, I saw a couple of people out that were demonstrating. And I thought, oh, you're doing it right. There was a, um, in both instances, there was, well, and there was, uh, it was two people, like, and they looked like boyfriend, girlfriend. They looked like they were younger people, probably in their, their 20s. And they had, um, on one uh, street that I was driving down, I saw them, and they were, they were on the sidewalk, and they had a sign that said, you know, justice for Floyd or something like that. I can't remember what the sign said. And they were just holding up their signs. They weren't blocking traffic. They weren't doing anything. And I thought, oh, okay, that is maybe how you can kind of remind people or, or make your feelings known or get the word out or express your opinion. And you're doing it in a way where you actually may be able to bring people over to your side. And then, again, driving down another street like a day or so later, I saw another uh, maybe about two or three people. And they were doing the same thing. On the sidewalk, not blocking traffic, not being, you know, screaming at people or anything like that. Just had their signs up. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's a way to do it. That's a good way to do that. But when historically what happens is when you have people that are out there and, it, and the protests turn to, to riots and looting and breaking stuff and, and destroying property and, and destroying property of, of property owners that have nothing to do at all with with what transpired, like that guy that got shot at the Wendy's and they burned the Wendy's down. Well, Wendy's didn't do anything. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is uh, historically what happens is the unrest like that, that type of unrest is generally bad for, in, in our country, we would say like the Democrats, and it's generally good for Republicans. And when we, and I think that what they're going to do come election time is they're going to say, hey, do you want your cities taken over by the mob? Do you want this to happen? And yeah, it took them, but they, they let this stuff happen. And yeah, eventually it got, it got back to normal, but they let this stuff happen. And is this what you want? And so, you know, I don't know. Again, it's, it's July now. It's just the start of July. It's, it's going to be a while before we get to the election in November. Now, it, it'll be here quicker than we know it, but that's, that's a lot of time between now and then. And is if, if, if a vaccine comes out that proves to be effective in the next couple of months, well, I don't know. 
if the economy can kind of come back, if we see that an example here in Arizona, so we had things that sort of spiked up and now it's going back down. I mean, it's, it's, it, let me rephrase that. I kind of got my mouth got ahead of my brain there a little bit. So Arizona, we kind of had leveled off. We kind of spiked up a little bit and then we went back down and then the state reopened and then we spiked up. And what they were saying is that the numbers were a lot of the spike was for people that were between the ages of 20, that were in their 20s and 30s. Well, who are the people that are going to be the most active going out into bars, gathering and, you know, doing all this stuff and engaging in behaviors that maybe, eh, you know, you're young, you want to get out there, you don't care. And especially if you've heard the message, well, most young people, it doesn't affect them. They're healthy enough that they can shrug it off. So also uh, the number of tests have gone up, but I think the percentage when you look at the, and again, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but when you start, if the numbers that we're getting are true, it seems that the percentage has gone up about 10 points. So it, it was saying that there were about 14% before and now about 24% of the people that are getting tested are coming back positive. So again, we're going to do that. I don't know what's going to happen with this stuff, but again, let's say in a couple of months we get a vaccine, the numbers go down, the economies we're, we're able to open up again, and there's probably going to be some people that are still getting sick, but People are able, your kids are able to go back to school. You're able to go back to work. And if the economy starts to just normalize, not even necessarily recover, but just normalize, I think Trump stays in. Also, a lot of people that maybe aren't necessarily, again, the most pro-gun, but maybe they were just kind of average. Maybe they are like, well, I don't want. I don't want somebody coming in and telling me I can't have my gun because my gun, again, we were talking about earlier in the show, that gun was sort of a talisman toward them, a sort of a teddy bear, and they don't want to have to give that thing up. And they don't, but I don't, you know, I don't know. It's most people are not single voter issues. And in fact, most people don't even vote. They just don't, they see that or they think that it has no, what they what they vote has no effect on them. Now, again, if you lived in California and you were a conservative guy, your vote doesn't mean anything. Same if you're in New York. If you live in a super red state like Oklahoma, it used to be it used to be you could say the same for Arizona. Although I think there's a little bit more hype around that, but generally Arizona generally skews Republican. But it will be interesting to see what's going to happen with our senatorial race, which is coming up with uh, Mark Kelly and. Um, uh, Martha McSally. So we right now have in the Senate, Kristen Cinema, who is a, a Democrat. And she's going to be in there for the next, what, four years, something like that. And if Kelly gets in, we'll have him for six. So that means that Arizona in the Senate would go Democrat. Cinema is not super duper, super duper anti-gun, but she is, you would not necessarily classify her as pro-gun at all. Kelly is anti-gun, 100%. Uh, and if we, if if Arizona, if the the Arizona goes basically blue in the Senate, it's not going to be so great for us when it comes to you know federal gun laws, things like that, things getting kind of pushed back, or or when it comes to new stuff coming up, there's going to be you know basically probably two more votes that weren't there before for them. Although you know we had Flake and and uh, McCain, who were really, they were kind of, you know, that, well, I don't want to go down to that. But anyway, they, they were really, were not friends to, uh, to the gun community. So that's kind of enough of that stuff. It will be interesting. Let me know what you guys think. Do you think Trump's going to pull it off? Do you think we're going to, um, as far as, and again, as far as pro-gun thing, do you think the Senate's going to remain somewhat pro-gun? Uh, and again, we've talked a lot about that they, they didn't do diddly squat for us when they were in power the first couple of years there. And they could have done a lot. They could have advanced a lot of stuff for us and they didn't because they didn't have to. And uh, now they're going you know, you got people in there that now are throwing bills out every once in a while, but they know it's not going to go anywhere. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about just some regular old gun stuff on the YouTube channel, which is every blade of grass. You can go over on YouTube and look that up. Or the easiest way to get there without having to try and search through everything is just to go to the website and click on the YouTube link and it'll pop you over there. 
But anyway, one of the videos, a couple of the videos I have was of my uh, PCC, and I've been dragging my feet on that, but I am building another pistol lower, and I'm going to do some stuff on that. I'm going to film that and put as much of it as I can on YouTube. Oh, Gunstreamer supposedly died. Three days later, they came back resurrected. They, I guess they had an influx of cash or, or got another partner or anything. So I will put that stuff on Gunstreamer as well. I need to get a link for that over up on the website. But uh, the I think my Gunstreamer channel is every blade of grass as well. Oh, and by the way, still waiting on full 30. I'll, I'm, I've just given, but I, for all practical intents and purposes, I've pretty much given up on them. Uh, I may try and do a direct email with them and see if I can't get them on because I've seen stuff where there's people that have like 10 videos and I'm like, well, shoot, I've got more videos than that. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, I was speaking of kind of YouTube and videos and stuff. Like I said, I'm going to be filming what I can on that PCC and putting that stuff up and I'm going to show the build of the, of the lower. And one of the things that I do, an idea that I had, I guess I'll give you a little tease on it. An idea that I had was, you know, in California, they used to have that bullet button. And so if you've watched the previous videos or listened to some of the stuff that I've talked about previously about my PCC is that I'm using that Stern Defense mag adapter. And part of that, if, if you get a little bit of, oh, I guess you'd call maybe muscle memory or a training scar or whatever you want to call it, when you go to do a mag change, I don't want to accidentally hit the, um, hit the, the mag release and maybe inadvertently dump out the adapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that bullet button in there, which basically it renders your mag release, uh, the normal mag release. It, you can't do that unless you have a tool that goes inside there. So that way it would prevent sort of an accidental adapter dump, for lack of a better term. So anyway, I was uh, just kind of strolling around and I saw a couple of guys shooting their, the MP5s again. And I was like, oh, man, I'd love to have it. I wish they weren't so expensive. And maybe one of these days, maybe when some of this stuff kind of uh, settles down a little bit, I can sell a few of my pistolas and some other things and maybe uh, get that. I thought a long time ago I wouldn't mind getting a Rifle Dynamics AK. And I'm sure they're still great, but Jim Fuller's gone from there, who was sort of the Rifle Dynamics guru. Uh, and I think he's going to be starting up Fuller AK, so he may be doing, you know, something with those that as well. I don't know. Uh, maybe if some of you guys know what he's up to, that type of thing. I follow him on Instagram and a couple other things, but I, I know he's setting up a shop to do some certain things. So who knows if he'll do a thing where they would be like the same price. But part of the problem was it was always kind of pricey for what you're getting. And it's sort of the same thing with an MP5, but... I just think I'd love to have one of those little MP5s. I just wish they weren't so much. Anyway, let me know what you guys think of the old MP5, or do you think I should go with an MP5 or a AK, maybe wait and see what Fuller's going to do. I, I don't think I, I will, but maybe what would you do? I'd still like to get a lever action. There's a bunch of guns I'd love to get. I'd love to get a lever action. Um, I'd, I've got a, a 57 Magnum revolver, and I'd love to get a... Maybe a Henry or a good Marlin, if I could find a good Marlin, and have it uh, slicked up and everything in 357, and that way I could have, you know, a pistol and a and a uh, a long gun that kind of match. So, hey guys, I'm gonna jump in here real quick. I did find an email that I got from Dave. This came from back in May, and I just. I don't think I, I didn't see it. I didn't go to junk or anything like that. I just think I didn't see it for whatever reason. Anyway, I had asked if anybody was uh, out and about or you still had to work out during the pandemic type thing, what was going on, what were you seeing? And so Dave sent his stuff in. Now, this comes with a little bit of a caveat, and I'm going to go ahead and play it because he did take the time and the effort to do it. And I've, I've tried to, with the editing software, tried to boost his voice as much as I, I can. Uh, I think it's listenable, so I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll go ahead and play it, but he did the recording in the vehicle and his the microphone picked up so much of that background noise that in processing it, it sounds kind of tinny, but I think you'll be able to hear it. So let's go ahead and we'll play that and hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, Tony, it's David, Utah. 
episode that you labeled moving viral. I don't know if that's your most uh, recent episode of Firearms on Earth Day. But, uh, yeah, you, uh, you guessed it. I am uh, currently a truck driver right now. Uh, I won't say which, I don't want to say my last name or which company I work for, so I'm not quite the name of trucker, but I've got the ambiguous trucker or semi-anonymous trucker. Yeah, you asked about uh, what have I noticed kind of out here on the front lines of the fight against plague. Um, honestly, the you know, short answer is uh, not much has really changed for me. My company does, we haul a lot of uh, food basically, and we, so we, we continue to haul food because people continue to eat food. has changed. There was a little blip uh, a few months ago where uh, our company sent out an email saying that a lot of the, uh, one of the warehouses around the Midwest had, had a backlog. They had a little bottleneck. Somehow they were full of people due to the virus. Uh, so they, they routed a bunch of people, I guess, away from those runs that they could typically do. still able to get, uh, whether or not I, I do a run from Utah to Ohio or Indiana or Utah to up to Oregon and back and down to Phoenix and back, even doing two of those kind of shorter runs a week, uh, I, I've still been able to have a decent paycheck, so it hasn't really affected me much. I've noticed some of the traffic, well, I haven't been in Seattle
then there was also apparently there had been another order in New York that when a, uh, a nursing home patient went to the hospital and they tested positive for the coronavirus, the hospital had to basically discharge them to make room for, for other patients in the hospital, which is like, okay, I understand that, but they were saying that those nursing home patients were positive for coronavirus had to be taken back to their nursing home, which is full of elderly people in poor health who would you know, almost certainly catch the coronavirus and then need to go to the hospital. So I don't know if they thought that one through. I think, I think they recently kind of quietly changed the order to, well, I guess you can keep them in the hospital until they come up with a negative test for coronavirus, and then you can send them back. So see things like that, and it's like, man, I wonder if my New York City is really the only place that's had such a problem with this virus. Uh, but as far as supply chain, uh, food has been, I mean, food is food. People need food. Uh, a lot of the places where I picked up in Washington uh, is fruit, and they will, they have warehouses where they'll, they'll, they'll grow, and then, you know, they'll grow in the spring and summer, and then harvest in autumn, and they're able to harvest enough fruit in autumn that they can store them in the warehouse and just keep that whole, that whole harvest in the warehouses until the, the harvest season for the next year. And then people can, as people order fruit, then they can ship out fruit, you know, little bits at a, at a time as it's needed. So that, that hasn't been affected because the, the supply that they have is from last year's harvest. Um, a friend of mine who works for a different company, he did have a kind of a dedicated run where he would go pick up a bunch of uh, cheese from a, from a place in Idaho and take it to another place in Wisconsin. Uh, but he, but apparently the, the cheese that he was picking up is labeled and packaged and uh, kind of for the restaurant industry. So they're all like the restaurant supply chain. Since a lot of the restaurants have been kind of shut down or severely curtailed um, suddenly they weren't growing any cheese and so his company had to, had to move him around and find him uh, kind of shorter runs in and out of California and he said that California has actually been California is normally a big pain in the butt for truckers because there's there's pretty much not enough parking anywhere close to where you would need to be um, and there's always just just amounts of traffic and you can only go 55 miles an hour there which limits physically limits the number of miles you can travel in your prescribed 11 hour driving time every day so therefore you just you automatically just make less money when you go to california unless your company has some sort of bonus system when they pay you but he was telling me that even with the with the speed limit it's, it can still move pretty well because the traffic has actually been really light Everyone's at home, no one's out driving, no one's going to work. So you can actually get around. It's, it's kind of amazing that there's uh, not traffic around you know, these big urban centers in California. But that was a few weeks ago that I talked to him. I don't know if the traffic is starting to pick up again. But yeah, overall, it's not been, it's not been a huge disruption for me personally. And, uh, you know, some people are complying with the face covering thing, some aren't. I was able to get a big uh, a 32 ounce jug of uh, hand sanitizer gel with a little, a little pump top on it. It fits conveniently in my uh, cup holders in the truck. So, what I'll do is, uh, you know, pop the mask off, stick it back in my pocket when I'm exiting the uh, truck stops. And then when I get into the truck before I really touch anything, I'll take a little squirt of hand sanitizer on my hands and kill anything that was on there. And of course, I always wash Uh, that's been pretty much it. It's uh, not not too much of a disruption. So, all right. Anyway, thanks. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, look forward to hearing the podcast. Bye. All right, Dave. Thanks for sending that in. I really appreciate it. Sorry that the uh, maybe it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to on the show. That type of thing. But hey, sometimes these things happen. 
Now, if you guys want to send in your own stuff, let me go ahead and give you the contact info where you can send that stuff in. If you want to call in the voicemail, it's uh, 206-745-2731. If you want to record your own stuff or do an email, the email address is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Okay, my fellow travelers, I will talk to you guys next time. 